My name is Catherine Austin Fitz. I'm the publisher of the Solari Report and managing director of Solari Investment Advisory Services. I just published a huge study called The State of Our Currencies. For many decades, the dollar has been the reserve currency. The system is what I would describe as long in the tooth. The central bankers are trying to bring in a new system, but it's not ready to go yet. So they're trying to lengthen the dollar system and then they're trying to accelerate bringing in the new system. And they have to bring in the new system without anybody quite realizing exactly what it is. Much of the new is being tested and tried and prototyped and it involves many different industries. I describe the new system as the end of currencies. We're essentially bringing in a new transaction system that will be all digital and essentially end currencies as we know them. The challenge they have is how do you market a system that if people understood it, nobody would want. And of course, <laughs> the way you do that is with a healthcare crisis. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. And that is the wonderful Catherine Austin Fitz. I almost said Catherine Austin, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure you got that. Because I look cold and everybody in Texas is cold. <laughs> <laughs> um... Catherine, you're one of my favorite commentators in the world at this point in time, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and it's an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on my podcast right now. Well, it's very nice to be on. Every once in a while, I jump on a workshop with uh, lots of folks from South Africa. So I'm always, I'm always delighted to be in cahoots with people in South Africa. Yeah, and just before we went live, you were saying that you're in the Netherlands, um, and, and I was joking with you saying, well, then at least you, you won't have a hard time understanding me because my accent is probably something similar to what you hear there. Uh, I, there's a little faint Dutchness. You can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's, a, it's, almost, what, four, it's almost 400 years now, so <laughs> I think it right. shifted a bit. And um, uh, You know, the, the Dutch are very enduring. <laughs> in in what sense? Oh, I just think, you know, they're the folks who don't quit. They're the, uh, I would say, they're the ones who can turtle through just about anything. You know, 50% of the, of the landmass in the Netherlands was reclaimed from the ocean. And yes. in fact, if you look at the, the empire that the Dutch built, they took a lot of their profits from all over the world and reinvested them in creating... You know, doubling the landmass in the Netherlands. So yeah, I, I read about that. It's a pretty incredible story. It's a very incredible. The Dutch are very incredible people. Very incredible. Well, I'm glad to have some Dutch in my in my blood. In that case. <laughs> <laughs> and Me do too, you wear? You'll never I, quit. No, I have to ask you though. Do you wear a mask in the Netherlands? Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a restriction period where you're required to wear them in certain shops. But there's no requirement on the street. Oh, okay. So That's... you you very rarely see people with masks on in where I I'm in the rural area, and my impression is there more there's more mask wearing in the um, you know where people voluntarily wear them. It's much more in the cities, is my impression. Mm. Catherine, so that clip that I played a few moments ago um, is from an interview. Uh, called Planet Lockdown 
um, in which you were interviewed. Um, I know that there that I don't know if that documentary is out yet. Um, I know that there have been a whole bunch of people interviewed for it, but I, if I remember correctly, it should be coming out very soon, if not already. So it's not out yet. The The film's website is planetlockdownfilm.com. And uh, James Henry, who's the documentary maker, has two channels on YouTube. One is Truth Matters, and the other is Planet Lockdown. And what he's been doing, he's gotten many, many fantastic interviews. And what he's been doing as he goes is publishing the inter- interviews with very light edits so the information gets out and circulates. Yes. And then he'll finally, and he's he's published the trailer um many of the interview or some of the interviews on truth matters and and planet lockdown is two youtube channels have been taken down mm. so the my interviews have been taken down other people's interviews have been taken down but they've been re-published on BitChute and yeah. rumble and you know they're they're kind of all over at this point anyway but they're great interviews and so don't wait for the film check out the interviews and then as soon as the film comes out this one is going to be very, very good. He got some great interviews. I see, so yeah. Well, I'm going to put your your one from BitChute onto onto my podcast or onto my website tomorrow, uh, following this okay. particular chat. Um, and I, I, I suppose it's I suppose we can we can kind of talk a little bit about about what you spoke about there because I found it fascinating. And then obviously you can we can you know take take right. a tangents. But I mean your 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 commentary uh, took caught me sideways um, because it was very different to everything else that I've been following. Now I'm I'm of the opinion, as I said to you before we went live, that this pandemic is fake. Um, people are dying, but I don't I don't think that that um, it's completely all just because of a disease. I think there are multiple multiple mitigation measures that are causing illness, from mask wearing to stress to all kinds of issues um uh, and i also am of the opinion that there is lots of big tech games being played here and i know that you've been very outspoken on this so i look at the world let, let me just describe my background yeah um i've spent my life tracking money and so whenever you know, I used to drive a lot. I've driven millions of miles across the United States. Whenever I drive into a town, the first thing I think is, how does the money work? <laughs> and what I do, it's a mapping tool. I map out the mathematics of time and money within a town, within a city, without, within a country. You know, what I'm looking for, and, and to me, money is a tool. And one of the things you can do with it is you can just map out the flow of energy in a place because mm. it's really it's really about how people spend their time and resources so when I say how the money works I'm really looking for a way of mathematically expressing the flows of energy within a place okay so it's my na- I worked at a very high level on Wall Street and in Washington and it afforded me the opportunity to map out all the government and private flows in the relationship whether and when I say government, I mean central bank and the sovereign treasury function. So all the sort of money creation and then money taxation and expenditure. So so anyway, I having worked on Wall Street and, and then in the Bush administration in Washington, 
I came to the conclusion that the fascists were going to get control of the new technology and kill us all. So I left the Bush administration and started a company named Hamilton Securities Group because I discovered relational database technology. And I said, ah, I can put all the data from all the private sector and all the government, and I can look at it, you know, both by industry and by place and relational databases. And so I started to dig in. And of course, I ran right into the fact that if you bring transparency to how the money works in communities, you basically bust through all the fraud. <laughs> so yeah, so I yeah, so I ended up having an eleven-year war with the guys who were engineering the housing bubble, both the central bankers and the government. Right, and it's it's become a very famous story that's now part of an online book called Dylan Reed and the Aristocracy of Stock Profits. You can see it there. But what it did was it allowed me to look at the world in a very integrated way at a very high level. And when you track the money, you see a very different story than when you listen to the spins. So when I worked in Washington, my job was to basically oversee the entire mortgage and housing markets. And what was amazing was, so I'm tracking the budget and all the federal credit for mortgages and I know what's going on in the budget. You know, mm. so I'm reading on the budget and in the budget it says we're going to the left. But then the Sunday shows start and everybody's talking, and they say, Oh, we're going to the right. I'm like, no, you're not. The the budget train tracks are going to the left. So what you what you learn pretty quickly, there's an official reality and then there's a reality. And if you watch what's happening to all the financial flows, that's the reality. Because where people get paid to go, that's where they go. Right. You know what I mean? So where the, where you generate profits, that were, you know, everybody's going to jump into Bitcoin because it's at $54,000. Okay. So, so, you know, so it's my nature to watch the flows. And um, it was very interesting. So coming into the end of last year, so the central bankers vote on the going direct reset, which is really... What we're in the middle of is the going direct reset. And what mm. all the COVID-19 restrictions are is just part of the going direct reset. Okay, so so um, the going direct reset starts. The Fed goes into the repo market in September. You have all these shenanigans going on. And all the investment advisors are sitting around saying, you know, the time has come. The, the U.S. stock market is topping. We really should diversify to Europe and Asia. The time has come to finally leave the U.S. market. And then suddenly COVID-19 happens and miraculously, wham, the U.S. stock market is, you know, got massive support. The U.S. dollar has massive support. U.S. bonds have massive support. And everybody's saying, oh, you know, this is a natural pandemic phenomenon. If you're watching the money, you're saying, no, it's not. You know, the, the money doesn't lie. Anyway, mm. so I was in the middle of writing uh, a major review of the dollar as reserve currency and what was going to happen with the cur currency next. So while the COVID-19 is unfolding, I'm finishing up State of Our Currencies. And um, I had published it right before James Henry came to um, to interview me for Planet Lockdown. And I was basically describing the central bankers going direct reset and the re-engineering of the financial and, and currency system and with it, the governance system for the planet. And um, 
it's the consolidation of what I call the financial coup d'etat. Yeah, so, you mentioned that. Right. And what I didn't, you know, I was just laying out what what the money patterns say. And I, you know, and, and the interesting thing about the money patterns is they connect all the different industries, all the different efforts, and look at it at a very high level from the point of view of the people who are sort of running the governance structure. And I had no comprehension that it would resonate the way it did. It seemed to just really go. And I think because if you watch what's going on, many people feel quite incoherent. Nothing makes any sense. Yeah, nothing makes sense, no. Right, but when you look at it from the financial patterns, everything makes sense. Uh, okay, so then how how does it make sense to you? Uh, I, mean, so le- I mean, I guess we have to go back a little bit to when it all began. You didn't see it coming. Yeah, I did. So... When I left the Bush administration, I was clear that the leadership was going to try and centralize control using digital technology, and that it was urgent that we come up with an alternative. Because the, we've been part of something called the central banking warfare model for four or 500 years. And because of the way the world is changing, we knew the model had to change. So you couldn't continue the central banking warfare model as it was and the question was you you essentially as of 1991 you had one of three choices you could uh radically change our how do you describe it our our way of life you could downsize the population or you could transform to a whole new model and the question was which one would we do and and the political process in the democracies was sort of a, a breakdown between the establishment who didn't want to tell people the truth and the general population that didn't want to make gut-wrenching economic or lifestyle changes let alone depopulate now it's very interesting in 1995 we had a major budget war where the establishment really tried to get us to a financially responsible plan. The political process simply rejected it, you know, the swamp at all. But it, it's, you know, everybody's on the take one way or another. And that is exactly when the financial coup started. You know, literally the next month, the financial coup started and all the predatory lending and all the um, the opioid epidemic, all those different policies that have brought down life expectancy started. And that's because if you can't achieve a financially responsible plan, then the, you know, if, if you can't get the fiscal side to fund retirement, you've got to bring down life expectancies. Mm. And so that's when the war on the, on the population really got kickstarted. Okay, Catherine, um, just for the sake of of uh, uh, people like myself who draw pictures for a living, um, <laughs> we <laughs> um, can. Is it possible to 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 break apart some of what you're saying into sort of simpler simpler concepts? Uh, because it's sure. it's very easy so, to it's very easy to get lost. Right. So it's and it's interesting. I have an article called "Coming Clean Across the Fiscal Cliff" where I sort of outline it very simply. 
But imagine where you have a family sitting on a beautiful piece of land with a big house, okay? And the family's been very wealthy and they want to keep spending. They want to keep living well, okay? And what happens is the people managing the, the, the ranch, so to speak, keep providing them with a higher income than they can afford because they're, uh, you know, they're, they're not doing the kinds of things they should modernize or fix the infrastructure. They're just paying everybody and nobody wants to hear about the problems. They just mm -hmm. want their check to continue. So the leadership finally realizes, you know, we're not going to be able to keep this going forever because we're really kind of running things down. So before this blows up, let's just steal everything that's left. So that when, when we finally tell them, you know, something you're not going to get your check next year, you know, we've got all the money and we've got it long gone, so they'll never be able to find it and get it back. Okay? So mm. the managers take the family jewels and take off, at which point everybody's left with all sorts of promises to keep getting their checks and their health care taken care of, and they have a nice piece of land, but the money's all gone. It's been stolen. Okay, so what do you do next? Well, right. I say you declare a war on terrorism and you attack the, the people whose money you've stolen. <laughs> right. 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 De Desert Storm. Well, they're trying to pass a, a domestic terrorism law mm. that's basically declaring war on the people whose money they've stolen. I mean, here's the thing. Mm. You know, the American people at some point are going to realize, you know, there's almost $100 trillion that's now missing, and they're going to start asserting rights against the banks and the government for the money that's disappeared. And so before they figure that out and do it, why not just attack them as And if you if you're not going to declare a war on terrorism, which of course is a strange concept because you can't see terrorism, you could also declare war on a virus because you can't see it. Well that's that's one of the things I talked about in Planet Lockdown is the best enemies you know, when you have no real in, in enemy, the best enemy to create is an invisible enemy because nobody can prove that it doesn't exist because it's invisible, right? Mm. Right. So, so terrorism is an invisible uh, uh, enemy. Viruses are invisible enemy, and and so if you want to declare war on people, you know, declare war on invisible enemy that is among the people, and then you can declare war on the people. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening globally. I mean, everybody is following the same script. Well, I would say the central bankers have very central control mm. of the money printing. I mean, basically where you have central control of the money printing and then you allow yourself to get on all digital systems, then you have very tight central control, particularly if they have access to the, all the data on the systems and we don't. So there's a one-way mirror. It's what Glenn Greenwald called the one-way mirror. Sorry, there's a noise. <laughs> that was supposed to be off. That was supposed to be off, wasn't it? It's Big Brother spying on you. Yeah. It was. That's a, that's a telemarketing call. <laughs> 
you would you would not speaking of shadow work you would not believe the digital interference we deal with like anyway no whining <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway so invisible enemies are great and divide and conquer is great we talked about both of those in planet lockdown yeah one of the striking points that you made was that this there's a new type of trading system because you, you it's almost as though they want to do away with currency as we know it money as we know it and they bring do. in something new so so this system is not a currency system uh if you look at what they're planning they're looking they're planning on a digital system which is the equivalent of of credit on the company store um so without without a cash system there's no liquidity outside of their control system right so this is a system where they can turn off your ability to trade unless you behave um it was very interesting there was a lovely i talked about this i think at planet lockdown there was a lovely uh imf session with the head of the bis the head of the federal reserve and the head of the IMF and Karstens, the general manager of the BIS, said uh, to Pal, he said, well, if a foreign citizen is transacting in your central bank digital currency and you don't want him to, you can just shut him off. Right. That's the beauty of central bank digital currencies. And what, of course, everybody knew listening to that is, oh, they can shut anybody on and off like that whenever they want to. But apparently something like Bitcoin is untouchable, Catherine. That's not true. <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm being snarky. Have you, have, oh, <laughs> it's it's always funny when I get into the you know. Occasionally, in 2017, I put it off for a while, but finally, I, as an, I, at the time I was doing investment advisory, I decided, okay, I'm going to do a very serious due diligence on Bitcoin. And um, because I kept getting into these disagreements with people and they said, your problem is you're ignorant, you just don't understand Bitcoin. I said, well, I understand custodian issues and I understand how this, the planet works. Anyway, so, so I dug in and I spent a couple hundred hours doing very serious due diligence on Bitcoin and crypto. And what was astonishing to me by the time it was over and after I finished the whole thing, I took all my final questions and I flew to see Bill Benny and sat down with him and said, let me go through, you know, and I, I think Bill Binney is as good as it gets in terms of security and technology anyway. And, and the notion that anybody thought Bitcoin was secure to me was the funniest thing I had ever seen. You know, if you've, if you've ever seen someone, you'll, you'll never see a more obedient human being in your life than a technologist who's been presented with a subpoena by FBI guys wearing guns. I've watched it. I've dealt with it. I've lived it. And, you know... <laughs> what you're saying is that the gun... Fighters, the, the guy arrives at your door with a gun is always going to win. No, not always. No, I, I, I don't mean that, but, but I think you, you, if you're going to win this game... Mm. And if you're going to win this war, you have to you have to have a plan other than the fact that that guy with a subpoena and the gun at the door can't mm. get your Bitcoin. Right. You know, that's not a, that's not a strategy that's going to work. So 
Catherine, can I? I just want to zoom out just a little bit, and I just want to see if I can if I can encapsulate what you've been saying. Um, okay. So, basically, you've got these technocrats, and and sort of government. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, negotiations, as such, um, that so are. So I don't. Yeah, so the negotiation, you, you have a layer of governance, I call it Mr. Global. Yes. Because it's not 100% clear who it is. Right. And if you tell me who has the most powerful space weapons, I'll tell you who it is. <laughs> but I'm still not sure. So, so, so you have this layer of Mr. Global, and beneath them you have the people who are responsible for investment and risk management. So there are pools of intergenerational capital, and then there are pools of risk management, whether it's the insurance companies, the banks, et cetera. So like JP Morgan. So JP Morgan is a very important train tracks. Last I knew, last time I looked, you couldn't send money in and out of South Africa without going through JP Morgan Chase. They were the correspondent banker for the South African central bank and government. Sure, I, I didn't know that. I don't know if it's still true, but it was true 10 years ago. Um, you might want to check, mm. but but that means J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, nothing can go on in South Africa if J.P. Morgan Chase doesn't want it to go on, sure. which, of course, brings us back to the farmers, right. but another issue. So, so um, uh, where was I? What were we talking about? You so were thinking about the farmers. Yeah, so no, I was I was asking about sort of the negotiations between the top level and what you right, what so, you said so, was so yeah. you have you have Mr. Global, and then you have a layer of the money, the investment and risk managers. Okay, some of that money is in family wealth, you know, so some of it's in institutional wealth, but it's a whole layer of money, and that money has to sort of negotiate the train tracks. And then beneath that are all the different technocrats and, uh, you know, whether the intelligence agencies or the military or the different cartels that run the day-to-day operations underneath that umbrella. But you uh, wanna... an, example, an example I think you mentioned was Amazon. Right, so Amazon's part of the technocracy one of the things they want to do is bring down the sovereign governments and replace it with corporations. And Amazon is part of the digital infrastructure they want to use to do that. It, it sounds like you're saying that the big tech guys are actually our enemies. So I don't think of it that way. The big tech guys are basically uh, encouraged to help the two top layers centralize control. They're the infrastructure that sucks up the intelligence and the data and and institutes AI and allows AI and the software to build a technocracy that can be very tightly central controlled. And Elon Musk is right now sending up satellites all over the place. Right. Right, that's part of this AI software infrastructure that makes technocracy go. So, uh, so why is it something to be feared? So, 
the reason it's to be feared is that you're talking about a system which is contradictory to life. So you know what it means to be intermediated. So once upon a time, we had a farm, we had a well, we had chickens, we had eggs, we made our own milk and, and cheese and, uh, and had very little money. But we had lots of real stuff, right? And a day came along when somebody said, well, don't have a well, we'll put in a water system and you can pay us a fee, right? So that's intermediation. We allow ourselves to be intermediated and, and three generations later, we're putting our money in the water company stock mm. and we're getting a dividend and we're using that to pay the water company to provide our water instead of having our own well. We've been intermediated, right? Right. And centralization is the process of intermediating all parts of your life, not just your water, your food. Instead of owning land, you pay rent for an apartment. It's the process of intermediating. And the more you can intermediate somebody, the more you can skim off the data or the rent. Okay, so, so it's a way of extracting value and centralizing value. We're talking now about technology that will not only intermediate every aspect of your physical surrounding or your provision of day-to-day -day goods. They're trying to intermediate your thoughts, the different functionality of your body. We're talking about surveillance capitalism and an intimate invasion of our body and our minds and our lives. So they're trying to intermediate and decide and control who you have sex with or you know what you say to your neighbor. So the deeper they can push the intermediation, the more they can set, extract value and centralize. So why would you want that? Because you're talking about absurd levels of central control and manipulation. And, and it's counter to life. It's not, if you were gonna optimize mm -hmm. the economy, it's not how you would optimize, it's not how you build the biggest pie, it's how a few people build the biggest pie for themselves. So, you know, you take a population of 8 billion and, you know, a very small group can extract all the economic value and own and control it. So if you're looking to harvest it, like livestock, it's very successful. If you want to extract as much value from the planet and ship it someplace else, you know, it's, it's productive for central control, but you shrink the size of the pie dramatically. Totalitarianism and warfare is profitable for a few, but it's tremendously wasteful to human civilization. It's wasteful to, to you know, economic produce. Think of all the different ways it's wasteful. I don't know, do you want to be a slave? No, definitely not. But it sounds But you'll like be mind controlled and you'll be totally happy. You know what's so scary, Catherine, is last night my wife and I watched a movie called The Island with Ewan McGregor and Scarlett uh -huh. Johansson. I don't know if you remember. It was from about a decade ago. I can't remember. I've seen the trailer. I've never watched the movie, but I know, this, I know the plot line. Yeah, and you think, oh, it's sci-fi. But every, every five years, it seems that it gets closer and closer to, to what you're saying. And yes, another scary thing. It's not it's not even tinfoil hat stuff. I mean the the World Economic Forum has openly stated that you're going to own nothing. 
and you just said that a few minutes ago that the idea right, what is, you're saying is we are going to take all your assets right right but we're going to mind control you so you'll be happy don't worry how does this tie into to money and economics so so financial transactions will be one of the critical ways we're controlled so you know if you have an all digital financial system that's a company a credit on the company store if you don't behave you'll be shut off so how in the censorship the last wave of censorship we've seen people thrown off of their payment mechanisms right so James Henry had a GoFundMe account. Boom, he's off, right? Yeah, and the um, the CEO of uh, Gab also he cannot accept any kind of funding other than crypto. Right there, you go. And that's that's a result of excessive centralization of of the economy. Yes. Right. In a market economy, if one guy throws you off, there's another guy to provide the service. Yo, it's it's actually it's actually a bit frightening. Is there is there a way to push back, Catherine? Of course there's a way to push back. There's always a way to push back. So if you look at all the people who are building is this what I described in Planet Lockdown? If you look mm. at all the different aspects of central control what you'll find are millions and millions of people just like you and me who are building it and doing it and implementing it. Why are we doing that? So um, I said to somebody the other day, what percentage of the people who went to the January 6th rally in Washington had in their pockets bank cards or credit cards from the large New York Central, the, New, the large New York Fed member banks who are basically doing and implementing the going direct reset? And they said to me, probably about 70%. You know, if you if you want to get something done in this world, just stay home and and cancel your relationship with those banks and move it, decentralize your bank deposits and your bank business to a great local credit union or bank. You know, so, you know, and I always give the Bitcoin folks a hard time, but you know, if you've got all your money in Bitcoin and you're not financing your local farmers, how do you think food's going to be there? Right now, Bill Gates has become the largest landowner farmland in America. And, and last week he came out and said, you know, if you want meat, you're going to have to eat synthetic meat. You should eat synthetic meat. And bugs. Well, what do you think? Right. So, so, and bugs. So, so, you know, if you're not willing to finance your local farmer, I mean... The central bankers are pumping crypto, and that's so you'll stop financing and building civilization, run into crypto, and by the time you're back, you know, you won't have farmers, you won't have meat, you won't have cattle, you won't, you know, civilization will be gone because you didn't have time to finance it. So, okay, so so if I'm, if I'm following you, Catherine, um, decentralize as much of, of your life as possible, is that, is that what you're saying? Decentral, first of all, you know, uh, what I tell everybody to do is do a time budget and look at your time 
where can you delete from your life institutions or people who are wasting you time, losing you time, or causing you risk? Get anything or anybody that doesn't have integrity out of your life. If you're watching corporate media, you've got a problem. Mm. You know, cut it out. So, so anything that doesn't have integrity, get it out of your life. That's number one. And do it in a way that saves you some time. And then take that time and figure out whether it's, it's building more secure sources of fresh food for you and your family, getting a banker you know and trust who's a decision maker and won't lie. I mean, I've had bankers, you know, I've had the Department of Justice team up with bankers to do some pretty ugly things to me. Make sure you have somebody who doesn't do that. Mm. Um, and go through all the different things you need in your life, whether it's energy, food, you know, we saw one person in Texas who uh, went to a wholesaler energy provider because they were able to get energy for 40 to $50 a month. They just got a bill for $11,000. <laughs> Can you imagine getting an electrical bill for $11,000? That's because you don't, you're not thinking, you know, is the, is the business I'm doing business with to get my energy somebody I can trust? Are they somebody who will work with me you know, on a on a non fraudulent, non entrapment basis. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like what you're saying is that you want to go back to uh, dealing with people and sort of values rather than um, artificial um, concepts and ideas. Well, you you want to figure out how you can be free on an enduring basis. Right. So, if you look. So this is the United States, not South Africa. I don't know South Africa well enough to know. But in the United States, if you look at all the fraud in the mortgage system and all the fraud in the home building and construction industries, I would say to a 16-year-old, listen, learn how to build your own house. It's simpler, it's easier, it's less expensive. And you will be right. able to learn how to do it with integrity. And if you look at your age and what it takes to learn how to build a house, it's much easier for you to learn how to build a house than do it on a intermediated basis. Right, right. So in other words, on every function that you need in your life, look at how you've been intermediated and then look for the opportunities where you can disintermediate in a way that gives you energy. We're right. not looking for you to go off and live in the woods and eat beans with a shotgun. Don't. You know, we're not into suffering here. We're into comfort, beauty, and, you know, a great life. So so look at where, so I'll give you a perfect example. I used to have a client who was constantly complaining that the yields on, the, on her stocks were going down because yields in the market were going down. And she was complaining that her water bill was going up. I said, look, you're in, you live in a rural area. This is an opportunity. Sell your stock, build a well, kill your water bill. What? You know, she could make more instead of keeping her money in stocks mm. and and buying water from the water company. She could make more money selling her stock, building a well, and providing her own water. In other words, disintermediate, disintermediate. Get the intermediation out of your life, but look for look for places where you have an opportunity to improve the quality of the people you're doing business with, or to improve the economics. So. I'll give you a perfect example. I was in Bible class many, many years ago, and I got everybody talking about their money. And what I discovered is one woman 
had a credit card from a New York Fed member bank and was paying 24% to finance her business. 24% interest rate. The second woman was putting her money in a CD in a local bank that was then sending it to that same New York bank. And, and so she was, I think, getting about 4 or 5% at the time. Um, but the New York Fed member bank was getting pretty cheap money relative to what they were charging this person. And then the third person had her IRA money in the stock of the same New York bank and was getting very little. And then the financial crisis, you know, went down 50%. So here's one woman who's paying 24% and two of her best friends are earning 4% by providing money. So, so they're giving their money to this New York Fed member bank for three or 4% who's lending it back to their best friend for 24%. You know, mm. why do we need a, a bank a thousand miles away to add a markup of 20%? I mean, it's, you know, a 500% in percentage terms. Wh why do we need them to do that? Right, but... All it, those three women could have gone to a local bank and worked out an arrangement where one funded, one insured, and the other borrowed and they could have all been significantly better off and made some money for the local bank. And this principle applies across the board. When technology changes the way economic, you know, the fundamental economics of what's possible change and rather than wait for a big company to show up and give us the benefit of that opportunity, we need to say, we need to look at our own financials, our own balance sheet, our own income statement and say, how can I re-engineer my time and money with the people I know and trust, You know, whether they're in my network or they're in my family or they're in my community to create opportunity for me and those I love. And a lot of it, believe it or not, is getting, getting anything which is predatory out of your life yeah so so for example um using that that way of thinking um i personally have removed myself from most big social media platforms i don't use google because i don't want to i don't want them to use me to make them right. more money um i use DuckDuckGo, and i try and I, I i'm not even using youtube right now i'm using something completely independent um, right. Would is that is that the principle that you that you're talking yeah. about? Sort of decentralizing. Get, and, and part of this is energetic. Get that which is not compatible with life out of your life. So that's how you push back. Well, remember, it's not just pushing back. If we're going to have a free and inspired life, we have to build a free and inspired world, and we do that together. So, so give your energy to things that give you energy. Don't give your energy to things that steal your energy. And we keep drawing more and more people into doing that. Because right. right now, the only way a few people can control centrally is if we build the prison for them. And if you look at biotech, if you look at military, if you look at intelligence, if you look at the uh, medicine, if you look... All these different areas, people are building their own prison. 
can I read you uh, um, one or two comments from from the the, sure. the audience? So Norman says yeah, um, and um, I, I think he's he's uh, expanding on what you're saying. He says take your home off the the electrical grid, buy your produce from local farmers. Do not support big business. You can still do this living in a town or a city, just with a little more effort. But you can work from home now also. Right. So so I found this as a learning journey. I call it coming clean. And if you come into Solari, um, and it started for me in 1998, I was writing a check on J.P. Morgan Chase, and I realized, why am I banking at the bank that's doing all this mortgage fraud? I said, I need to come clean. And I started a process where I tried to get all the big banks and companies out of my business, out of my life, and it was a journey. It was a learning journey, and some things worked and some things didn't you did have to make a lot of effort, you know, mm. then you to find the local farmers, you had to, you know, but what over time, what happened was I woke up one day and suddenly, you know, my life was so much better because everybody was doing business with and interacting with were people I really liked. Right. It was great. That's actually something that I've learned over the last few years is doing business or working with people you actually like it makes mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference <laughs> it's it's so obvious there was a uh uh i'm i'm in the netherlands right now and one of the things that i and my colleagues are doing is study the history of something called the hanseatic league which as in during the middle ages as governments didn't provide many yes. provision the merchants organized to build yes i read about it this week yeah, it's very, very interesting. And they're low, they're, and, and the way they succeeded was they basically cornered the market in cod. Mm. And you could salt cod in a way that it literally would be good for years. So for long-term trade, you know, when you're traveling to North America or Asia, you need to put away protein that will last you for the whole, you know, the whole trip. Anyway, but they're, they're, their sort of motto for the Hanseatic League was serious business with long-term partners. Right. Yeah, and they've got little pockets of them now, I've noticed, um, around, uh, is it the Netherlands? I forget now where, where it is. Germany. It's uh, it's along the North Sea, so it's Germany, the Scandinavian right. countries, and the Netherlands. And um, But I think we, we need to go back to the models where we know who we do business with and we make a real effort to have no bad dogs. Um, I, I agree. I, I need to read you a question from Carla. Um, she she wants okay. to know, is slavery the best trade? So what I said in Planet Lockdown was slavery, historically, in my opinion, has been the most profitable business, has the highest margins. But it's very problematic and it's very difficult to control. So the slave trade, I believe the the Anglo-American alliance canceled the slave trade the last time because they had serious management problems that basically threatened their whole operation. Um, and I talk about it in Planet Lockdown. Mm. Um, so the question is, can you implement slavery uh, and get away with it without running into those sort of civilization threatening challenges. And I think they believe that with mind control 
and digital technology that they can institute or inject into our bodies that they can beat the problems they've run into historically. So, and if you believe that, there's no doubt that, that slavery would be the most financially profitable model, you know, essentially if you're a psychopath. Now the problem is you lose the possibility of building a great civilization. So, you know, we could have a big argument about which would create more equity. I think an, a great civilization in the long run creates a lot more equity, but they would point out, yes, but you can't centrally control it, and they would be right. Mm -hmm. So if you want something that's sent, that, that maximizes the profits to the top 10 people, or 10 whatever they are, Right. You know, then you're right. then you're going to want slavery. That's going to be your most profitable. If you want to be an oligarchy, slavery looks mm. very attractive. Uh, but to a hypermaterialist, if you're a hypermaterialist, it looks very attractive. But Catherine, the idea of of I mean, robots, um, it does sound quite nice. I mean, wouldn't you like to lie on the beach? while a robot does i don't know build a manufactures a car so that's of course the siren song oh the robots are going to run around and take care of all of us and do all our work for us mm. and we're going to all be oligarchs and the reality is no that's not that's not how it's going to work so i i have no objection to automation or comfort mm. And I think machines have their place, but we're talking about a vision of artificial intelligence and machines that are are out of alignment with the life. fabric of life, right? So someone also Kipling has a a wonderful poem about a servant when he reigneth. You ever have you ever? I'm a big Kipling fan. My grandfather used to make me memorize Kipling and recite it to him. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't know Kipling, but, but I will certainly look at look it up. He's he's got a he's got a poem called "A Servant When He Reigneth," and when you allow finance, should be a function which is supportive. It, sh it should never money and finance should never be allowed to run er anything, control anything, determine anything, because it's strategically stupid. Mm. That's what always happens with money. And it's, it's interesting, I was just telling somebody, Steiner had a philosophy of the uh, sort of, of the economic and political order called the threefold social order. And he said, there's the economy, there's the civic life, and then there's the law. And you must never let the economy rule the other two. They all three have to be independent, each of each other. They have to have integrity for the thing to work. And he's exactly right. So most of our financial system is a creature of law. If you let the economics and finance guys run the law, you're toast. And that's exactly what's happened. Someone was asking now um, in the comments, um, you know, it, it, it seems overwhelming. How do you, how do you even <laughs> begin? How do you even begin to, so to, here's the thing. to make a change? For the first time in my life, so I've always been an optimist. I started becoming an optimist in 1996. In 1996, I discovered the wealth potential if we allowed the economy to be run on a decentralized basis. And I realized, oh, 
the cost of centralization and central control is so enormous that mm -hmm. if we could grow up and become a spiritually evolved civilization and really allow law to be separate from economy, you know, the pie could be hundreds of times bigger than it is right now. So that that's when I started to sort of laugh and become an optimist. Um, and yet I could never, starting in 1996, when I started to tell people about it, I could never get anybody interested. And so I've spent from 1996 until I recorded Planet Lockdown, not able to get anybody interested in the possibility of what could be, that it didn't have to be like this. because it was more convenient for everybody to just stay in the middle of the road. Mm. Okay. So now the middle of the road is going away and everybody's sort of like, ah, you know, mm. I don't want to be part of Mr. Global's barnyard creatures. What's the alternative? And to me, that is an unbelievably hopeful sign because step one of real solutions is transparency. So I always tell people I had a pastor in Washington that said, if we can face it, God can fix it. Now, this can all be changed, but not unless we're willing to face it. And so, what I would tell you, if everybody on the planet would just look at it, face it, and pray, mm -hmm. the door would open. As you were talking now, something occurred to me. So I know um, you're having lots of uh, uh, blackouts in the U.S. at the moment. Um, now it's something that we in South Africa are, are very used to <laughs> roading blackouts but 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 one thing that struck me now while you were talking is I'm convinced that in the next 5 to 10 years we're going to see an increase in rolling blackouts and a lot of electricity is centrally powered so it seems it seems almost like a no-brainer that you've got to start thinking ahead now and going well we're going to have blackouts, so perhaps we should find decentralized sources of powering our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So decentralized food, decentralized energy, decentralized water, you know, on and on and on. And that's positive because it's being, it's being proactive. Start, right. Start now. It's never too late. Just start. You know, it was pretty funny because having been through all the reality of what was going on in the financial system. In 2006, I settled the litigation. And the first thing I did was uh, um, my, my CPA said, well, let's refund the 401k. I had a retirement plan that um, got into the middle of the fight. And I said, nope, I'm never going into business with the government again. <laughs> so we're not gonna fund the 401k. And somebody said, well, come buy a big house, you know, in mm. California. I said, nope, I'm going to buy the smallest country house I can in Tennessee. And I'm going to set it up to be totally resilient with a well. And the first thing I bought just about, I bought a whole house filter for the water. And the second thing I bought was a generator. Because I knew, I knew it was coming. I think what you're saying is very inspiring. Um, we've got just a couple of minutes left, Catherine. I've got a question from um, Charlene. Uh, she wants to know, what is Catherine's opinion on the red herring stock market upset that happened a few weeks ago? Is this a form of people standing up or pushing back? So I think she means the uh, the game GameStop. Some, yeah. Yeah. 
So my guess, I haven't looked at it deeply. My guess is you had uh, the sort of the top layer of Wall Street want to remind a couple hedge funds who was boss. And this this was kicked off by trading in the dark pools. And and the Reddit group sort of rode, rode it to the top, and I'm sure we're encouraged from behind the scenes. Mm. So I'm sure they believe it was a, you know, I, I think the retail guys participating thought it was a real retail thing. But I don't, I think that was, you know, it was the dark pools that really traded it up. So I think it was a major, a major play. And, um, and the, probably the message was to, was to puppy train a couple of hedge funds and remind them who was the boss. (laughs) (laughs) But that's also quite scary because it shows you how volatile it just all is. So it's not scary because it what it shows you is that if a deep broad coalition of people were willing to move their money from the big banks to the banks that have integrity you know find the community bank or local credit union that has integrity in your area Mm. Um, but they're also willing to move out of companies whose business is organized crime and into companies who are into, you know, providing energy or doing something useful. I mean, it would be a real revolution. I just can't, I can't let this one slide. But how do you, how do you work around the banking structure? It's impossible. No, it's not. You can't keep money under your pillow. No, but here's what's interesting. So, you know, in all things balance, when the feds came after me in 1998, so they started in 1996, but they really hit hard in 1998, sort of took me down. They tried to shut off all sources of credit and income. They couldn't shut my banks at that time. They tried, but they didn't make it. But, um, and they had, you know, they were framing and falsifying allegations. So the whole thing was a, you know, was a frame up. And, so here I am, and I go from having a million dollar a month income and cash flow in my business to nothing, but I still have the expenses, particularly the expenses of doing the litigation. So it turned out, I sat down at that time and I calculated that I had given or lent to members of my family or friends a quarter of a million dollars. And over the next 11 years, they that group of people gifted or lent back to me $250,000. Oh, that was I see the what you're one saying. Source, that was the one source of money they could never shut off. And if I hadn't given or lent that 250,000, I would not have made it. I would not have physically remained alive during that 11 years, okay? When the when the big settlement came in, I took a huge chunk of money and I bonused and gifted it and lent it out again. Because I said, if there's one bank I trust, it's the People Bank. And I'm putting my money back out in the People Bank. So in America, yeah. if you if you see the immigrants come, they don't trust the banking system. So they get together and they put together a group. And part of this is energy. So if you've ever read Lynn McTaggart's Power of Eight, this, you know, this dovetails on the energy of helping each other 
and intending that each other be successful. So these circles are very powerful spiritually and energetically, but um, let's say you start a group with 10 women and you have a hand of $100. And every month they have a potluck dinner, they come together, each put $100 in the pot and they one takes $1,000 out. And that's what they use to build down to, you know, uh, down payments for cars, down payments for house. Anyway, it's like a savings club and your money's not in the bank. It's out there on your network. Gee, it's in the I people bank. love what you're saying. It's just, it's so obvious, but yet, but yet not. Right, but, but you can do it with money. You can do it with seeds. You can do it mm. with health. You can do it. There's all sorts of bartering and time backing and other things you can do. But you've got to get together with people you can trust and you've got to say very practically, what can we do to watch each other's back, protect each other? You know, if, if you have a group of, of 10 like that, 8, 10, 12, 12 is about as big as you can go, and you agree that you're not going to let anyone, you know, anyone be declared a domestic terrorist in the United States. And so if one gets grabbed as a, or snitched on as a domestic terrorist, the other nine will go down to the police station and, you know, with pots and pans like they did in Iceland, and they won't leave until they get their friend back. You know, so so these are, think of these as sort of little insurance groups where you're trying to help each other succeed. You're trying to help each other succeed with prayer. You're trying to help each other succeed with food. You're trying to help each other succeed with health. And that group of 10 can all have knowledge, which is precious. One can be a lawyer, one can be a doctor, one can be, you know, an accountant, one can be, you know, so, so you have someone you can trust who's advising the group on these different expertises. What you're describing, Catherine, sounds to me the, the very definition of family and community. Right. And but, it's and that's it's family and that's community. Life. It's family and community in a time of war. Because we're in a war. We are. Okay. And and you know, and the worst thing that can happen, you know the worst things that can happen in war. So so you need to prepare, you know, to to endure and succeed through this through this and th through this experience and it takes a different kind of organization. And you have to get intimate. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm someone who'll get everybody in the room talking about money. And we've been trained not to share information with money about, you know, with other people. Now we're going to have to get into sort of intimate. How does your money work? How does your money work? How, does mm. you, how can we make our money work better by collaborating? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Frederick Hayek who said that um, economics is basically just human interaction. Right. Right. I Money's a tool. I think it was him. I might, I might, might have it wrong, but it doesn't matter. The principle is what I'm talking about. Money is just a tool that you use to trade human energy. That's all. Good heavens. That's why when people tell me they've made a lot of money. You know, it's like a home builder saying, well, I have more hammers than anybody else. So what? You know, what's your problem? Mm, mm. You know, the point of the point of the tool is to build something. You know, it's to build a cathedral, not to sit on a bunch of hammers. Yo, I must say you 
have said some very insightful things, Catherine. Um, I'm going to absolutely make a few sound bites out of <laughs> out of your words of wisdom. Um, we've gone over time. May I may I just brag and just tell my my audience right now, um, if if you don't mind, that um, you and I are going to be doing a little bit of work together. I hope. I hope. I yeah, cannot I wait. So you and I will be chatting more about that um, tomorrow or the day after. But I just wanted to say mm -hmm. to my audience that I will be doing a bit of work with the great Catherine Austin Fitz. <laughs> I'm very the Catherine Austin Fitz is very deeply gratified to find you. <laughs> um, can I read you one more question before before I let you go? Sure. Absolutely. All right. um, Lee wants to know what is the status of the dollar? And what will happen to global currencies, especially if there's no digital currency forthcoming? So I don't think there's going to be one digital currency forthcoming. I think they're going to promote the SDR system and then have different central banks come out with different digital currencies. And they're going to be more and more digitizing and more and more controlled towards. Because remember, Mr. Global, at the end of the day, doesn't care about whether you call it dollar or wampum beads as long as it's digital and it can be centrally controlled mm. and you can have you can have 200 central bank digital currencies and still centrally control if everything's digitized in the right way so um so i don't know how the dollar will evolve there are many different ways this could go and I think, you know, what what I'm most focused on is not will it be the dollar or something else? In China. But how can I create liquidity outside of the um how can I create liquidity outside of the digital systems? That's what we all need to do. Um and and I have to say, if there's any way we can have enough evolution of the of the taxation and the governmental systems so that we don't let the central bankers force corporate control of our places and instead find a way to shift and maintain sovereign governments but that are responsive to us and that comes down to asserting control of the taxation flows so that's something i'm going to be publishing more on um in april yeah, I mean, just quickly, I recently read a book that was written, I think, in 1974 uh, by a guy called um, Alan Gray, or uh, uh, I forget his name now. It's called None Dare Call It Conspiracy. And it sounds very tinfoil hat-ish, but it's not. It's basically about central bankers and the power that they, that they have. Um, a phenomenal read. Uh, I read it um while i was flying between Johannesburg and cape town um and mm. uh and it really got me thinking and it's it's so the most i just have to i have to give you my rant now oh sure okay? go for it okay here's my rant i grew up in a world where everything we did was a conspiracy conspiracies were wonderful they were the fundamental operating principle of life you got together with a group of people you made a plan, you kept it secret, and then you snuck around and you did it. Now, mm. ma many of the conspiracies were totally legal. You know, we mm. weren't doing anything illegal, but we were 
we were organizing, we were making a plan, we were implementing it. We had self, we had syndicates, you know, and you never financed anybody in the enemy mm. syndicate, you know. And so whenever I finish the Salary Report, I always say, don't ask if there's a conspiracy. If you're not in a conspiracy, you need to start one. <laughs> so this world is run by millions and millions and millions of conspiracies. When you are a member of the establishment, that's all you're taught, how to start and operate and run and complete successful conspiracies. Right. Yes. You know, I never I never knew that these were bad things until I got booted out of the establishment and I discovered that the way you keep people powerless is you you train them that conspiracies are bad things so they don't know how to conspire. Mm. I mean, if you want to know the difference between being in the establishment and being outside the establishment, Everybody in the establishment knows how to start and run successful conspiracies. And everybody outside the establishment is like, oh, conspiracies are bad. No, conspiracies are wonderful. That's how you get something done. You build your future one conspiracy at the time. So get going. Get going. I was just corrected. Uh, it's Gary Allen who wrote the book. Um, right. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic yeah. book. Um, and he mentions J.P. Morgan. And what I was going to say is that everything that you that you were saying earlier is something that he was saying. And so, I mean, that connection is is phenomenal. The central bankers are really, you know, at the level right below Mr. Global. Mm. But of course, we don't know who Mr. Global is. That's what you were saying. Right. And that's the mystery because... The planet really is run by force. You know, a lot of the model is implemented by the monetary system and the fiscal authorities, so the financial system, but it really is run by force. And, and you know, whether it's the sea lanes or the satellite lanes, it's the weaponry coming, you know, through the navies and through the satellites in space that really control. And if you look at all the people around the world who are doing things, you know, political leaders who are doing things against the best wishes of their of their population, it's because they're under threat of a whole variety of different forces. Mm. Catherine, quickly, you, you, the crystal ball in front of you, what do you see in the next 10 to 20 years? So we're coming into a... How can I describe this? Uh, Michael Ventura once said, we're standing in the storm of our, our, the psychic storm of our own being. And Mr. Global wants central control. He's given up hoping that we'll create, we'll be responsible, particularly when we, we don't have transparency about you know what's going on. And people wanna be free and people wanna align with life. And Mr. Global thinks he has the technology to override, and the people don't can't fathom that that's the case. And so we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a. And so the question is, will we, you know, uh, my vision of what's going to happen is some are going to go to the dark and some are going to go to the light. There's going to be a separation, and ultimately the light will prevail, and it always does. You know, but I don't underestimate how how many millions or billions of people could be killed by the process, because this is this is the culmination of a ten thousand year old war. 
Well, on that very uplifting note, <laughs> um, Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I will I will chat to you over email. Um, thank you so much again for your time. We went a bit over, but yo, it's been fascinating. Um, uh, I can see by the people who've been watching and leaving comments, they've loved it. Um, oh, good. They've really loved it, and I'm so glad that that you were that you gave me your time to share your insight with with me and of course my my audience. Okay, well, it's a pleasure, and so we'll talk soon, right? We will we will talk very soon. It's it's late at night here for me, so I will send you an email tomorrow. <laughs> okay. All Have right. a great time. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.